Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater from Dallas, Texas, and I qualify. Um, I've gone through a couple cycles of this. I had about 10 years of abstinence. Um, and, and I'll be honest, part of that had not so much participation in Overeaters Anonymous, but I'm back. And uh, most importantly, um, I'm at peace with what I'm doing. Um, I'm at very much at peace with my weight, and I'm at peace with how I feel. And that was important to me because when faced with the, you know, the slow destruction in food the last time, I remember kind of the big book talks about a dilemma and a decision that needs to be made. And my dilemma and decision in regards to this subject matter seemed like this. You can either enjoy your, enjoy your food or you can enjoy your life. Make a pick. And when I say enjoy your food, you guys, starting in COVID, I, I was on a first-name basis with the Dairy Queen down the street, right? Like, that ain't good, right? When you go in, it's like a bar, like, you know, like, cheers, like, bar, like welcome back, Jeff Gould. Would you like your uh, triple cake shake with extra cake in it today? Yes, please. I, you, you know me so well, you know? And so, anyway, it was like I can enjoy my life or I can enjoy my and I had to make a choice. What I found out since was that was my prejudgment, my old idea that the comes about. Um, when your gut microbiome changes, you enjoy different food, like Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and things like that that I very much enjoy today. So I want to tell you, so how did all this start for me? Um, well, this and a number of outside issues. You guys, I was kind of raised by a ghost, and I was kind of raised by a fist. That's how I would explain it. And the expression of the ghost in my life is I was communicated with through a series of sticky notes for about 18 years. Hey, buddy, get some good grades today. There's hot dogs in the fridge for dinner, right? Uh, back in the day, we called this a latchkey kid. You know what I mean? And dad, they were divorced when I was five. And so dad was the best. And I saw him once a year. And admittedly, my dad does not like small children. He finds them grating, irritating. They make him nervous, all those things. And so we were hit for lots of reasons. We were hit for no reason. We got the belt. We got the, you know, this was the 80s when you, you could get a belt or you could get a stick that had been cut out of the front yard. And, and that's what you got when you were not doing what you're supposed to. And, and so here I am being raised by a series of notes and being hit with a stick, right? And, um, and as a latchkey kid, all bets are off, right? Ice cream for breakfast? Sure. Honey buns for dinner? Sure. Pizza for breakfast? Sure. And there was no, you know, the kind of basis for my life, and I'm going to kind of roll this into the third step. The third step is so beautiful when it talks about the actor and the director. But in essence, the basis of my very life, for the most part, was I kind of did what I wanted to do, right? And so when I was a kid, what I wanted to do was eat ice cream for breakfast. So I did. When I was a teenager, what I wanted to do was drive my car with no car insurance on it. So I did. When I was an adult, 
I, what I wanted to do was have a methamphetamine laboratory in my kitchen, and which, you know, anyway, that's not really part of my always story, but these are things that happened and, and, and brought me to my knees very much in a different fellowship. And so what happened um, when I was five years sober in another fellowship, um, you guys, I quit smoking. And this is where I really learned a number of things happened at once. And I want to explain something to you. One day, because it's, it's really the nature of allergy. One day, my hands puffed up and were covered with water blisters and they were cracked and they were bleeding. And I could not understand it. And I went to the dermatologist and we talked about soap and laundry soap and different things like that. And, uh, and somewhere in there, I'd gone to Europe. I'd gone to Denmark and my skin cleared right up, right? And so I came back uh, to Arizona where I was living at the time. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was at the gym. And I was watching the janitor walk around with her bottle of something green. And she was spraying the machines and spray, 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 wipe, wipe, wipe. And I got by one of the machines and touched it and my hands began to tingle and I held them up and I just watched the water blisters and the chemical burns start to happen. Why do I say that to you? Because the point being, our biology can change. And I wasn't allergic on Monday and I wasn't allergic on Tuesday. But Wednesday, all of a sudden, ta-da, what do you know? I'm allergic to household cleaners. And, it, and it's been the same way ever since. You know, I wear anyway, whatever. And so what happened was after that, once I, I quit smoking cigarettes and my biology changed, you guys. I had always kind of been real thin. And all of a sudden, eating what I've been eating before, my weight was just off the chart. I, I went up 12 waist sizes in three months. Um and, you know, and, and my wife began to tell me, like, hey, buddy, we're worried about you. I remember, um, and here I am just doing what I want to do. Example being I was in Flagstaff, and uh, they had those, like, Blackberry, like, Dolly Madison pies. I hadn't seen those around in a while at a convenience store. And I was like, I'll take a whole rack of them. I bought 24 of them and bought nine of them in one sitting. I've since back, looked back at the caloric intake. I ate three pounds. I gained three pounds in one sitting. And there was like this jelly handprint, like very CSI, like this is like jelly handprint, like sliding down the wall near the bed. And my wife again said, I'm very worried about you. And that was my beginning into OA. And right from the gate, um, my consequences around not being on a food plan was weed and sugar gave me insomnia. I couldn't sleep and I'd stay up till five in the morning, with my heart fluttering, kind of sweaty. Um, pre, you know, pre-diabetic stuff. And uh, I, I couldn't sleep and I just kept, was gaining a massive amount of weight real fast. And so uh, I saw the need to do this. And so, you know, I, I met a guy and he said, uh, he asked me if I was in the other fellowship. And I said, yes. And he said, so you're familiar with the doctor's opinion? I said, yes. And he said, so you have an allergy to alcohol? And I said, yes. And he asked me, what do you think is even in alcohol, right? And near as I could tell, grain and sugar. And so my abstinence for my first 10 years was um, I didn't eat wheat and I didn't eat sugar religiously for 10 years. Uh, and uh, and that was my food plan. Now, let me, let me say something about abstinence uh, because abstinence, especially here, requires such a deeper level of self-honesty. And so I want to say something very subjectively and objectively. It's two different ways of looking at the same statement. So I was sitting in a meeting many years ago. There's a guy with a super big gulp drinking a cherry slurpee. 
and he raises his hand and says, I have three months of abstinence. You know, <clears throat> there's 68 grams of sugar in a big, I mean, if we were talking about cocaine, I don't know if anybody here is from the street, that's 28 balls of sugar. Like, that's a lot of sugar. You, you know what I'm, like a lot of sugar. How, and so objectively, I'm like, yeah, that doesn't fit, right? But let me say this, subjectively, and this is where progress is, maybe he used to drink 10 of those a week. And now he only drinks one in a spiritual setting. And for him, that's abstinence, right? Like the girl raised her hand and said, this is how it is for me. Who am I to say, right? I do know for me this time around, my food plan looks a little bit different. And this is just me. I don't eat carbohydrates, period. I don't eat carbohydrates. You know what I mean? And uh, and I am, I am at peace with that. Um, I feel really good about that helps me, you know, do the weight thing and all that. So um, here's a little prayer I offer you if you're pretty new and you're still sort of wrestling with it and trying to figure it out. My, uh, a spiritual mentor of mine, she said this thing from the podium where she said she prays for more light to see. I pray only God for more light to see. I help them see things a little bit clearer and with some kind of honesty because it's hard when your your wheels are spinning, right? And you're thinking maybe it's this or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And so and so having said that, and um, I'm really into talking about current experience and I'm into talking and into looking for the current expression of what it is I suffer from. And so, you know, the book uses the term alcoholism, not alcohol was, right? But as it turns out, we'll just use foodism for this presentation. So as it turns out, you guys, I suffer from foodism, not food wasn't. And if that's true for me, and if it's not appearing as a Big Mac in my hand, right? Well, then I have to ask myself, how is it appearing? Because I'm in this car moving forward, but here's what I know. The foodism is in the car with me. So where is it? Is it in the front seat, riding passenger? Is it in the back seat and I'm looking at it in the rearview mirror? Is it in the trunk? I don't know. Here's what I know is, is it's with me. And so every day upon awakening, page 85, I take a treatment for the fact that I carry this condition, right? On awakening, um, you know, I, I have lots of neat prayers in addition to the prayers. I ask to be the pencil in God's hand. I ask to be the paintbrush in God's hand. The fact that I'm even here means is the clearest expression of God's will I've ever seen. When you really think about it at a deep level, how do I know that? Because if it wasn't God's will, I wouldn't be here, right? And so so how do I become an extension of this giant creative force and what would it have me be a do? What I think it would have me be a do, first and foremost, is not you know, ruin my life. And um, I will tell you a conversation that's been a great and kind of keen interest to me that me and Five other guys have been talking about this on spiritual study. There's a line in We Agnostics that said, and I never really thought about what this meant. I think about it an awful lot today, but it said, had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith, did we not have faith in our ability to reason or think? And so what does that mean? That means my whole life, and, and, and it's systemic of every problem I've ever had, including this one. My whole life, there's been a program running that, that's it, of this outside kind of force 
that I think of is my thinking, and it says things to me like this. Nobody really likes you, Jeff. You should probably kill yourself at some point. And, and another thing, when she gave you that look near the fax machine, that means that she's talking to the boss and she's trying to get you fired. You're on the chopping block next. And so when we think about this idea of this thing called fear, you know, you know what fear actually is? It's faith. Fear is faith that everything's about to go horribly wrong. I know it. I feel it. I can sense it. She's going to cheat on me. She's going to divorce me. They're going to fire the other guy. And I begin to operate from a false belief system of things that, one, aren't even real, and two, they're not even true. And yet I put all my faith and all my stock in this like blizzard of thoughts going through my head that those things are real. Yeah, you, I mean, and no wonder, you guys, I've spent 15 years, you know, 15%, maybe 20% of my life staring at an open fridge full of anxiety. You, you get what I'm saying? Based on a belief system that the things I think are real and they're not. And this is kind of, this is really kind of an 11 step thing that, I mean, the, the line comes out of the second step. But this has really opened me up to that 11th step, that, that invitation in the morning to recover from this, right? Because what I, when I don't, the truth is, is by, by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm spiritually asleep. And I had seen that over and over and over, especially when I'm not really living this way of life. My breakfast, when I, after the point of I knew better, my breakfast was usually pretty good. My lunch was not quite as good, but pretty good. And by seven o'clock, all bets are off. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in one eating bowl of cereal after cereal after cereal after key lime pie after pumpkin pie. Like just, just doing like that because this conditioning is set in nice and bone deep. And now it's in control and I'm staring into that fridge full of anxiety and I need something to do. And the weird thing is, is that I'm asleep to it. I don't even know it. Right. So I'm into taking a, a discipline of actions, hopefully, that really keep me awake in this way of life. And I, I sat down and I read some, um, you know, resentment inventory. And, and I was sharing with this gentleman when, I, when I'm writing, working on a four step, I actually add an extra column between columns three and columns four, like how, how am I showing up in the middle of my life? And so, and it just helps me kind of pin it down. And I, I mean, I can give you an example of that where, I was at, uh, I work in a certain industry that's probably not a stretch too far from away from, oh, I, well, I work in treatment, you know, just so you guess that. And I went to someone's book signing something, something or other, right? And this is going back years. And this is when I saw it most clearly. And, uh, and uh, you know, I this woman introduces herself to me. It felt like she shined me on a little bit. She went out of her way to tell me who her husband is. He's a big deal. And then she turned around what felt like a little too quick and started talking to somebody else about these, this book she wrote. And I remember thinking in my head, F you and your book. And then she's talking about how she has three years of sobriety. And I'm like, oh, Mrs. Three Years. Like all of this is going on in my head. Back to placing stock in my thoughts and my judgments and opinions. So what happens when we stand up and do the meet and greet? I stand up and let you know that uh, I worked on disaster team one, which is how I cut my teeth. And, and, and I puff up and ruffle my feathers and all these things. And what I saw in my fourth column, step five, step six and seven, and in that invisible column where I've been writing, is I'm arrogant. 
and I'm a jerk. And when threatened, I puff up and I go big and I get greasy and I slide across the room and I let you know all, all my accomplishments. And you know the hardest thing, you know the hardest Five minutes. Part about, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know the hardest part about that? Everybody can see it. I'll use the term alcoholism at a minimum is extremely embarrassing. You know what I mean? When I'm doing business by defect and I think I'm so slick, and but the, our third step says, is it not evident to the rest of the players? Like we're, we're more transparent than we know. People see us as, as for what we are. And when I saw that inventory, I saw that I never congratulated her on her sobriety, even though I firing author never even took the time to ask her any questions so how did you write when did you write like congratulations that's a really big deal and what i saw was i saw the need once again uh, for change and depth and so i'll tell you two more things i was telling this gentleman i'm a big fan of the pray for someone for everything you want for two weeks and i'm a visual guy right so i'll have like a meditation and like i i want to i want to uh, uh 1956 poor speedster so this person I hold in resentment, I'll see them walking into an old shed in the country and pulling the drop cloth off it and be like, wow, and having to get the battery in there to you know, crank, crank the motor over and like, wow, look at this discovery and it was only this. Or I'll, I'll see them with their, with their feet off the side of a raft in the North Atlantic in cold water and see that whale surfacing and its eye open and, and the salt water splash. I'm like these things and these dreams in my heart, I pray those dreams for that person. So I'll let you all go with a story. I, uh, I had read some objectionable inventory a few years back and I had really prayed and got up and just said, God, just for today, I just don't want to be me. I just, I just want to be somebody else. Push me out into the stream of life. And then I checked my watch and realized I was going to be late for the airport. I'm an experienced flyer. So fast forward, you know, 40 an hour and 10 minutes. And I'm sitting on my plane in my aisle seat in the exit with my noise canceling headphones in my New York Times. And they're about to close the plane door. And the seat is next to me is empty. Pretty sweet, right? And a couple gets on right as they're closing the airplane door with babies. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, can you be a little more on time? And they're coming down the aisle and they're coming down the aisle. And I'm thinking, don't do it. And he, he sits in the middle seat in front of me and she lands right next to me in that middle seat with the baby and I remembered and I took my headphones off and I remembered my prayer and I said excuse me ma'am I'm gonna let you take my seat and I'll switch seats with your husband or whatever I'll go ahead and sit in the middle and you can sit together as a family and she says sir there's no need for that because there's only one baby per row per FAA regulation she said but um, but I'm pretty tired and I've been flying since Long Island and you seem like such a kind guy. Why don't you hold him? She passes me this little baby. You guys, I'm not a parent. I don't know nothing about babies. And this, and he was little, he was only three weeks old. And she, and the next thing you know, she, she's out like light. And I'm holding this tiny little guy and he never cried. He just stared up at me with those big blue eyes. And all of a sudden, here come the waterworks. And, you know, people are super nosy on airplanes. The first thing, they're like, did you see that tattoo guy? He just got stuck with that baby. And the second thing they're thinking is, why is that tattoo baby, why is the tattoo guy crying with the baby? Like, I'm, I'm having a spiritual experience holding this thing that's fresh and bright and new and just came to this world from the presence of God. And, I mean, I'm in it. And what I thought looking back was, 
And wasn't it funny how closed off to that experience I was when it was approaching me? I'm thinking, no, 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 no. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so that's all I got. Um, I, again, my name is Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you for letting me share today. This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. So if you need to share, please do so after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader, that being me or my own, and those uh, and those don't reflect, you know, Overeaters Anonymous, which has no opinion, by the way. When asking questions, you need to identify yourself. And if you asked a question last week, please wait, wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. And I'll ask that you do that in good faith because I wasn't here last week. So if you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon and we'll get back to it. So um, I see some hands already raised. Very good. How about LEG? Question. Hi. Thank you so much, Jeff, uh, for your lead and also for that beautiful story of how God works in your life and God's will. Um, abstinence has many definitions, and so does carbohydrates, at least for me. So your current abstinence is no carbohydrates. Would you explain what that means? Because in my head, Carbohydrates are also fruits and vegetables. Mm. Thank you. I will. Um, so I eat above ground vegetables. The only fruit I eat is blueberries and blackberries, and then you know chicken, fish, things like that. Um, but if there's anything that has flour in it, it's usually an almond flour or a nut flour or something like that. A lot of people would consider that ketosis. However, I don't use test strips and I don't worry about ketones and I don't, I don't get in actually to get into all that stuff for me to get focused on the numbers and tied up and all that crap again would basically be old behavior. And so again, I don't, I don't concern myself with, with the weight and I don't concern myself with science. I concern myself with the food. Now my wife who's standing right here um, now she, she's a gray sheeter and that's what works for her, right? Like in that, you know, we won't even get into that here. And so it's a little bit different, right? But she found something that works for her biology. I found something that works for me. And the reason I found that, um, was it was actually an intuitive thought when I was really struggling and I had this intuitive thought and I thought, nah, you didn't mean that, did you? And then I woke up the next day. Because again, at the time, and I, I know we're not supposed to talk about the food, but again, at the time, even without sugar and wheat, without sugar and wheat, oh, but I'm not above putting five, six, seven scoops of mashed potato on the plate, right? And to me, and just going and going and going and claiming it, you know, anyway, like that, right? So, so for me, that was the answer, and I didn't want to believe it, but it's been working pretty good for me, right? So, um, how about Melissa? Hi there. Thank you so much for your share. It was fantastic. Can you share with us what your daily spiritual practice looks like? Thanks. You know, at Melissa, I am so glad you asked. So, um, yeah, here's a question. Here's something my friend Charlie says. How much better would life be if we all worked a basic OA program? If we woke up, if we did on awakening, if we... We went through the day, we paused, if we did an evening review. And so on average, at three, uh, three days a week right now, I get up at 6.30 a.m. and read the big book to somebody else for an hour in the morning. 
So sometimes I start my morning like that. But I tend to wake up um, with 45 minutes of meditation. Um, I do some heart-focused breathing. I do centering prayer. I do affirmative prayer. Um, I lay out my day in my head. I pray, pray for the sticky areas where I think I'm going to need help. And I do my evening review at about 4.30. By, the, by that time, the, the power and the force of my foodism has probably showed up. And so 4.30 is another time to jump in and be like, ooh, like I got sideways in the work day and I did something like that. So most of this stuff comes from the big book. Now, what the big book does say in two paragraphs, it says we find many helpful books also. Also means in addition to, to, not instead of. And it says there's priests, ministers, and rabbis also. Also, again, means in addition to, not instead of. Like Buddhism and yoga is great. Not a treatment for ism, but it's great. It'll enhance your spiritual life. And so I do some things in addition to that for sweet grass and sage and things like that. Look, I'm a seeker at my core, right? Um, but, but I seek in addition to the basic principles that we're Thank you. Me and my man, Bob, who's up next, we were chatting about Vancouver hockey, like secretly on the side, because <laughs> I'm a big Canucks fan. So anyway, Bob, go ahead. Um, so can you talk about service in the program and what it means to you and what it's done for you? I can. Um, I will say, so I'm going to kind of out myself here. I go to my home group once a week and I'll 12 step some people around food quite often for a while. I had three, um, three, but I, I haven't been as active and involved in OA service because I'm so, so involved in another 12, 12 step fellowship where like blah, 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 whatever, it means nothing. But I speak on the circuit in that fellowship and we have a workshop in our house on Wednesday night and taking about 10 three people through the steps in that program, I've got an I've got a, a service commitment at the group level in that program, so on and so forth. And I've always been so busy. But uh, one of the things, you know, when my life was really on on when my life was really on the line, I understood quite clearly 20 years ago. You will spend your life caring for others, and the deal you're cutting in this unseen, invisible power was, and I will spend my time caring for you. Right. And so that that felt like the bargain and the deal I cut in the third step. I'm probably not as active in a way as I could be or should be because I'm so active in service and fellowship. And that's just this is the honest answer, you know, if I'm telling the truth, but it's a good question. So thank you for asking that. Um, up next, we have the lovely Miss Tanya. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> Hi, thank you, um, Tanya, compulsive eater. I really relate to your abstinence. I, I have the same. I say it's no carb, but it's whatever, keto light. I tried keto and it worked well, but uh, I modified it. But I understand the thought behind that. But um, I will not forget that quote. Um, I get all swollen up and greasy and slid across the room. That was amazing. So um, when you're talking about character defects, could you sort of tell me how you go through that process? Because it's a very detailed um, four step you do and then Care, um, working on letting go of the character defects? Do you just focus on, I don't know, prayer and letting it go? Or do you have like steps you take to try to help you release it? That's something my sponsor had told me is coming up with some ideas to help me also work on letting go of my character defects, if you understand what I'm saying? I Can do. 
So I'm, I'm going to, I'll try and keep this short, but a friend of mine explained the big book in a very curious way. He said, you know, remember in like when you're in pre-al, pre-algebra, right? And they're going to write the answer on the board, L equals K squared. And they said, now, uh, excuse me, Jeff, come up to the board and show your work. And so, so interestingly, they start with the answer and then you come at it with the problem, right? Like you have to work the problem. Now the big book operates on the same principle. If you're like us, here's exactly what's wrong with you. We're not going to make you guess at it. You're allergic, right? But that's not really your problem because back of that, you have a curious mental twist and a mental blank spot and all these different things. Now you got to discuss or show your work and see if you arrived at the same conclusion we did. And now when it gets into character defects, and this is how it was explained to me, the big book tells you what your problem is. You're resentful, you're dishonest, you're selfish, and you're afraid. You, All of us are an amalgamation. Our problem is based on an amalgamation of those things. So what is the fourth step? The fourth step is like the big book's way of saying, now show your work and see if you arrived at the same conclusion we arrived at in the third step, that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success, right? Now it also says in the third step, but each person's expression of resentment, selfish, dishonesty, and fear is gonna look different. Some people are kind and they're really, really sneaky and they retaliate in really sneaky ways. And other people are outright like, I'll just beat you up if I don't like you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so when I get to my six and seven, I'm looking for my clearest expression, how I wear the foodism suit, right? How I show up in that. And for me, um, I don't do a lot of work on it. I, I think I, I need God to move the needle. There's just, it, it, I can't do brain surgery on myself. I need God to move the needle. But I think when I've really seen myself, I'm usually so revolted by what I see that it becomes like, okay, right, God remove this. But I will also say, turns out I have, um, I have morals, right? Where did I find those morals in my fear inventory? Every time it says, what would God have us be? You know, and I let that speak to me and meditate. What God, what would God have me be? God would have me be quiet. God would, that's tall order for somebody like me. God would have me be chivalrous. God would have me be service-minded. God would have me be community-minded. God, God would have me be anything other than divisive. You guys, I stop myself on Twitter all the time. Don't take the bait. Don't bite the hook. Don't argue with people that have other ideas. You know, especially there's a lot going on right now in the news cycle. Leave it alone. Leave people alone. Leave them alone. Right? And so so what I, what I come out with in my resentment inventory of how I get, I come up with a 10-step watch list. Now I'm watching for how I get when I'm off the beam. And out of my fear list, I come up with my 11-step list of how I want to be. I want to be, I need God's help to be quiet. I need God's help to be honest. I need God's help to keep my feet grounded. I need God's help to not get after people on Twitter and to leave them alone, right? And so that's kind of how I work that. Mm -hmm. Great question. Thank you. How about, it's Alice with a Y. Good morning, Miss Alice. How are you? Good morning, Jeff. Thank you so much for your share. It's Alice Capulto over Eater. Um, quick, quick question is, do you mind sharing your um, contact info? No, I will put it right here. Um, that would for, be great. Uh-huh. So everyone in meeting, and I'm going to put my email first, and then my phone number. Um, any other um, 
any other buddy and can't even talk and i can't talk and type at the same time you guys uh any more questions or do you have another question alice just a really another real quick one what do you do when you're faced with a fear which is probably you just answered with a past one about the resentment but what do you do if you're faced with a fear i ask god to remove the fear direct my attention to what he would have me be and i try again so so now i'm being spellbound by this external exterior force um, and my friend calls it selfing now i'm selfing right and this exterior force has come upon me and it's like nobody likes you i had two of three people this week all in unison weren't calling me back and i made up a story about it and i'm like just god remove the fear direct my attention god remove the fear direct my attention i do that as many times as i need to and then i try and turn my attention is there anybody i can help with anything is there somebody i know whose shoes are so beat up i could take them to pay less is there somebody that asked me for something in the meeting two weeks ago and i can call them back and follow up and the truth is is when you're looking for it there's always somebody that needs help there's never not somebody that doesn't need help but uh, when i'm in the condition of self i just can't see it right that's the deal and so again say the prayer god remove it turn my attention go help somebody how about uh, Prashette? Hi, Prashette, compulsive overeater, uh, anorexic bulimic. This is my first time at this meeting. Um, so thank you so much, Jeff. It was really awesome to, to hear from you. I guess I just have a question about, like, I think with the food, I really have trouble with surrendering or step three. Like, I'm also in another program and I felt like for me, um, sobriety, you know, it's it's easy for me to envision that versus like with the food, it's very sneaky. I'm like, oh, I can have a little bit more here or a little bit more there. Um, but I wouldn't do that with, you know, with alcohol. So I just I wonder if you have any tips about that or how um, you're able to deal with that, because I just have trouble sometimes like I can very easily rationalize um, eating more uh, or dis my disordered eating. Well, Prashet, most people would tell you um, that accountability meal by meal is not a bad idea. For a while, I, right now, I, I keep a food journal and I send it to my sponsor. There was a time where I had to take a picture of every single plate of food I ate and send it to my sponsor. But but here's the hard and kind of like eh, like icky truth is um, when it when left up to me, I have a tough time getting sober. Now, like I said, my wife is great. She, she has to eat 16 ounces of vegetables a day. Have you ever seen 16 ounces of vegetables? That's two plates, right? And vegetables don't weigh very much, as it turns out, like a, a salad and a plate of broccoli. So that's her thing. For me, I don't eat carbs. My sponsor, my sponsor's food plan is the FDA recommended list. Remember in grade school, they show you you got to have this many peas and this much chicken and a glass of milk. The, the FDA recommends you eat that every day. That's his food sanity. But what I will say is I don't know. I didn't come here knowing what it was that I was allergic to, that I would react to. And you you actually have two problems, overeating and undereating, right? And so the sanity, it seems to me, has to fall in the middle. And I would find your sponsor. And, and the easiest way to do it, because it takes two seconds, can I send you a picture of my plate three times a day and lay yourself open to feedback? And if you see something there that doesn't seem right, and that way, and here's the hard thing, that way when you're put 
two pieces of pumpkin pie on the plate. You still have to send a stupid picture. And now, now the sanity's kicking it in and it's like, I know better. Right. But you still got to eat a little crow and be like, I'm sitting, you know, and then send the picture and they're like, call you back. Hey, what's up with that? You, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and, and, and for me, more than my abstinence in the other program, I had to be willing to hang up, hang around, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail, really push, fail, four steps forward, three steps back, five steps forward, 10 steps back, and just keep hanging and hanging and hanging until great grace kicked in. It takes a little bit and a lot of hard work to change here. Just my experience. Good question. How about Miss Lisa? Good morning, Lisa. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm, I apologize for my lack of um, face, but thank you so much for an incredible and incredibly inspiring uh, share. Um, my best friend is off the wagon on every um, addiction she has, and I'm, it's extremely difficult for me, and I'm started going to Al-Anon, but I was just wondering if you've had that experience um, where a, a, a dear, a near and dear person in your life refuses um, refuses help and is at the bottom. You know, Lisa, I do. And I say that because in 20 years, I've built up a community. If I were to go through my phone list, um, everybody in my life um, is pretty much in recovery from something. I mean, there's, I could probably name four dozen that aren't, and the other 2,000 are. And so, yeah, I've seen people off the rails. I would say, um, you know, and this is, just so you know, and this is not a business pitch, but I am an interventionist, right? I'm a certified, I spend a lot of time doing that. That might be a consideration for your friend. So the intervention is for people that don't want help, but that probably need it. And the 12 step call is to people that we hope might be open. And, and I think that's just a prayer thing. God, show me what you want to do, right? Because in a real 12 step call, if we're doing our job, we lay out this kit of spiritual tools for their inspection and either they want it or they don't. And so we're talking in a 12-step capacity, right? And I would say as a 12-stepper in this meeting, I would say you lay out the kit of spiritual tools. Um, this is what I did. And um, and you just like, and that's what it is. And, and if this is something you want to do, how can I help enroll you? If you say she's off the rails with everything, I would address them in the order in which they're probably going to kill her, right? If it's like heroin or cocaine or pills or something like that, that would be the top. That, that's the most dangerous thing on the table. Add the food, whatever, right? You can live out of control with food for a long time. But I would I would either think about seeking professional help or I would just thinking think about, you know, just doing a good old-fashioned 12-step on her and telling her, I love you. I love you. And it, this this is painful to watch. And if you want to do something different, call me and we'll get you some awesome resources and maybe you can make a beginning. So um, that's it. More, time. Mm -hmm, yeah. So d d d I'm going to turn it over to the secretary. Um, it's time for the secretary's announcements. Please go ahead.